0: All right, here we go. We're back for another episode of Spiritually Shitty. Episode three, my favorite number. Spiritually Shitty is where we have, I have, organic conversations with people about their spiritual experiences. And today we have a very special guest, Miss Rosie Sabrandi. Yo. (laughs) Yo. Uh, Rosie is one of my dearest friends. She's also a sponsee. And she is a resident coordinator or activities person something at Alpha Square, which is, if you don't know, it is a um, it's a building in downtown that's full of all these little teeny tiny apartments for people that are low income or didn't have housing before. And not only do they provide an affordable option For people that are low income, they also have a lot of services that they provide, and I'll let her talk more about that while we're on the show, but it's basically a really great place um, that gets people off the street and into housing. I'm sure you guys have heard of Alpha Project. Um, Alpha Square is is owned and ran by Alpha Project here in San Diego, so um, if anybody listening knows anybody that's struggling with um, being unhoused, um, food insecurity, you know, just the stuff that people in poverty struggle with, like, let us know, because between Rosie and I, we do have um, quite a few resources for San Diego County. Most so. definitely. So anyways, hi. Hi. Thank, thank you for coming over on this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, so I guess I, I basically just want to, you know, what do you what do you want to tell us? Like, where do you want to start?
1: Well, this is about our spirituality, right? And um so I'll just share a little bit about me and, and how I've been grounded and in, in um where my spirituality lies, you know. Um it's kind of I grew up in a in a Christian home, so I've always had that foundation, Jesus Christ, um God, uh Trinity type stuff. Um but, I mean, in my adolescence, I think I really uh, struggled because it seemed more of, like, a forced thing on me than, like, something I wanted to do myself. Um, as a kid, I enjoyed Sunday school. I thought it was great, fun, candy, you know. Um, but uh, definitely into my my teenage years, it wasn't something I really was into because I, you know, got into drinking and, and using pretty early, like, 11. Um, And so, yeah, it's just always been that foundation. My parents instilled it in me. Um, So it did carry out through my entire life. And the way like my relationship with God has has grown through the different things I've gone through in my life um, is pretty, pretty rad, I would say, because um, I always kind of knew he was right there with me um I always knew something was was keeping me alive and it wasn't me um and and I knew this from like a baby really cuz um as a baby went through some pretty some pretty traumatic stuff um I won't go like crazy into detail but um I was found in an a uh, uh, like kind of an abandoned hotel room uh by actually my sisters
0: um like okay, hold, hold up, uh, hold up, hold up. Okay, I know where you're going. We're gonna go there. We're totally gonna okay. go there. But real quick, I just want to ask. So, so you're a Christian woman. Christian woman. Do you go to church?
1: I go. I'm not an every Sunday kind of gal. I go when I feel led to go, and okay. I and I think that's the way it should be.
0: Yeah. And um, besides going to the actual church, um, are there other things that you that you use to to connect? with jesus
1: for sure and i um so i do like a morning like devotional prayer time um i do like a prayer time at night like to settle myself in um it's very personal it's just me and god um and i think that's like kind of how my relationship with god is it's a very personal relationship i i don't i don't feel like i have to go to church every sunday to prove that i love jesus so um my personal time with him is is what builds my relationship it's not like going out
0: and yeah yeah so let's take it back a little bit um because i know you were starting to get into your story a little bit so um you are adopted i am adopted yeah um rosie has amazing parents
1: i do i i jackpotted when it came to like getting parents yeah you know
0: so why don't you tell me um so let's go back and let's start at you know kind of the beginning as far back as you remember um as you were saying, you know, you went through some pretty traumatic stuff. Um, let's touch base on that and then kind of just move forward into how, how Hank and Candy Sobrandy ended up with little baby Rosie. Yes.
1: So um, like I started to say, um, as, a, as a young child, um, I had older sisters who were taken by the system, um, but my mom ended up getting pregnant with me and they thought she could do it. And maybe she thought she could do it too, but um, it didn't really work out that way. Um, my sisters had a social worker, and they kind of, I guess, my mom had kind of gone missing, which means Rosie went missing too. Um, so he was really worried and um, actually went out himself to try to find me and found me in this in this hotel or whatever room. He went out himself? Yes. Wow. Yes. So
0: this guy is probably like a young Social workers working for CPS, maybe getting his master's degree mm. and like, you know, working in the system to get some help with his degree. Yep. And he was good enough a person to to see fit that he should actually try to find you because he listened to that gut instinct that something was going on.
1: Yeah. So that man like essentially saved my life. Um. Wow. And I didn't find out this little piece of the story until like six months ago. Wow. Which is, I know it's crazy. Um. And so when my mom told me that my my adopted mom, Candy, she told me that I was like flabbergasted because I was like, that is so cool. Like some random man who didn't even really like, you know, I wasn't even his case, but he thought like I was worth it. And so and by him doing that, it saved my life Um, when when authorities got there and stuff. And it was in the newspaper. It said something like. It was, you know, one of the worst cases of child abuse that they'd seen or child uh, neglect and abandonment. And um, so that was the beginning of my journey um, into, you know, getting a new life. Um, Do you
0: remember, like, I mean, obviously the body keeps the score, but do you remember, like, memories of that time? Like, can you remember being with her or being there or you were still so young?
1: I I don't I don't remember that I I do remember slightly a time when she was able to visit me this is after I was already in um, foster care with my parents um, and she came to visit and I was like so scared I ran and like hid and I that's the only thing I remember about that time in my life like um, But I remember, like, things, you know, as I get a little bit older, you know, being an adopted kid was, like, kind of, it was great, but it kind of sucked. Like, people made fun of me big time when I was, like, a little kid. We lived in a cul-de-sac. and People People are so shitty, dude. I will never forget this kid named Jamie. And if you're out there, Jamie, screw you. Fuck you, Jamie. Yeah, like seriously. But he was like, your parents just threw you in a dumpster and like your mom and dad, Hank and Candy just found you and and decided to keep you. And I was like, those little things stick with you because like I'm 30, I'm 38 and I still remember that. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kids can be so awful. Yeah. So, and it was already like hard enough like for me because it was like a big deal. Like I got adopted and I just remember like, balloons and it was like a big deal like my parents were so happy to get me um and i think it was like a little bit confusing for me at the time like um okay so now i'm like in this i have this new house it's like i have a brother and like a dog and my grandma's here and it's like that wasn't i don't, it was new for me mm-hmm. um and i just i think it's like i always struggled to find my place even though my parents showed me like unconditional love it's still like i always felt like i didn't belong
0: Yeah. 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 I can imagine. I mean, having trauma that extensive at such a young age when your personality is forming and your sense of safety in the world. um, You know, sometimes even if we end up in a good situation, that trauma alone can affect us later. How long were Candy and Hank trying to adopt for like, what was the motivation there? Cause I know you have an older brother that they had already had, right? He's not adopted.
1: Right. So, um, before my brother Rick was born, my mom had lost, my mom and dad had lost a child. Um, and so then they had Rick and decided to do some foster care. And actually, um, when I was a foster child, they had uh, another foster child at the same time, same age, um, and her name was Esmeralda, and she ended up, her parents ended up getting her back, and she, was, she lived in TJ, so, but it was kind of interesting, like, having us, we were both there at the same time, and then she was gone, so.
0: Yeah, so I'm, I can imagine that there's some abandonment wound <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> going on. Yeah, so, so you end up with, with Hank and Candy, and you start to live this, like, regular life. And was that when you had, when do you first remember having like an idea about God or like, you know, Jesus or whatever? Like, how young were you when you like started to have a relationship or started to like pray? And
1: I'd say like maybe around like six or seven was probably like when I, I think that might have been like the pivotal moment where I was like, like God saved me. Like they, they talk about, Uh, God chooses their children and I was like well my parents chose me like so that's got to be a connection you know the love of Jesus my parents have like so it just all felt like right and uh, I was part of we had a really cool church back then and like they had the coolest kids club and and so it just felt good to be there and I felt I felt a part of I I felt it felt good
0: yeah yeah I, I bet that it was like you know you're coming home and yeah. you're you're getting used to things and then you find a place that you fit in with church and all of that so when did that start to change when did things kind of shift and you started to kind of go down the <laughs> the yeah. rabbit hole um
1: i think around age 11 i just, i mean i i always kind of struggled with like my my mood behaviors and stuff like that i know my parents tell these stories of like when i was little I would hold my breath until I passed out, like, as, like, if I was angry or sad or scared, that's what I would do, like, even in the middle of, like, the street, like, I would do it and just pass out, and, um, so I knew I always, like, I mean, I always had these issues, like, anxiety as a child, um, and so probably, like, around age 11 is when I started to, like, self-medicate, because, um, I think that's, like, the first time I smoked weed. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's it. That feels good, you know. <laughs> and then I know, like, around age 12, uh, my parents, uh, I started seeing somebody, like, a psychiatrist a family therapist, let's call him. And um, I was ended up getting put on to, like, Wellbutrin, which is, like, a anxiety, depression medicine. And I took it for maybe, like, four days, but then I just started hiding it. And, like, I remember them saying, like, she's doing so much better. And I'm like, wow (laughs) like on my own but um eventually my mom found out that I did that and so obviously stopped taking medication but I think like around 13 14 drinking became like a kind of normal thing for me and the weed smoking about then too Um, How
0: much was like fitting in and being a part of that crowd, like contributing to you doing those things? Because you came from a pretty good Christian home, right, where you're taught values and you go to church and your parents love you. So obviously there's something else driving that like desire.
1: Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with that, too. I mean, I still to this day, like want to fit in, you know, Um, I think (laughs) that has a lot to do with like abandonment and the trauma and stuff um because i i just i want to belong like and i want you to keep me <laughs> yeah you know so um yeah so yeah around 1415 it got pretty bad um to where like it was affecting the home um in a massive way like and but i was still kind of doing the things that i loved but it just wasn't as enjoyable so i was like a musical theater geek and keeping like myself in musical theater I think is what kept me grounded like as long as it did um but when I gave up like the things that I loved that's like when it went like you know so 16 um you know my parents got me a car I don't know why or how or like what I did to deserve it absolutely nothing but they did and I don't know my dad was saying the other day like our Our youth pastor told them, don't do it, don't do it, but they did it, and it was probably the worst decision ever. I mean, I had the car for, like, two months and then ran away from home when the car broke down, so, um, or it was getting fixed for something, and I ran away from home. I didn't have the car, so I ran away from home, and I didn't go back.
0: Oh, damn. Yeah. They probably just (laughs) wanted you to have have all the things, you know, and be able to have, like, the... the American experience you know it's such it's so ingrained in our culture that like a 16 year old gets a car or they buy save up and buy a car whatever it is and um (laughs) I think for some of us you know that can be can be dangerous um because we want to go 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 and have and be with our friends and be in the mix of whatever's going on right I was the same way like same way so so when you left home and you ran away, was it with like, did you have a boyfriend that you were running to or yep.
1: so crazy? I met this guy through a friend and he was like, just textbook the worst, you know, <laughs> Um, dropped out of school. He was like two years older than me. Um, He lived in like a house with his grandma and his dad. His grandma was a hoarder, like the, the worst kind of hoarder, like you barely could like walk through the halls type hoarding. And his dad was a schizophrenic that was like, he was not on any medication. And a lot of times his like delusions were me trying to like, kill his son or do something. So like his dad was steady trying to kill me in this house. Wow. And if it wasn't for like the hoarding, he would be able to get to me a lot quicker he was a
0: big man (laughs) so oh wow so when this was going on were you still like were you still praying or going to church sometimes or or were you just kind of so at this point my faith
1: like totally non-existent I was not praying I was not doing anything but like again something was keeping me safe because not only like was this guy like a total jerk but he like was super abusive like I didn't even think that was possible that like teenage boys could be like, crazy domestic abusers, but this man, like, abused me like crazy, and and uh, my mom, so another crazy thing about this is we live on a street called Erie Street, it, it, dr- it runs down uh, Mission Bay, like, and into Claremont, and I moved from Erie Street to Erie Street, just across, like, the major street that went through them, and so I was, like, 10 blocks away from my house, I ran away that far, but... <laughs> So my mom, and I didn't find this out until later, um, would go there in the morning, like, before it was, like, light out and walk around the block and pray for me because she knew in her heart something wasn't right. Like, and I believe to this day that that's, like, what kept me safe. Like, she was praying, like, a protection around me, and she, like, did never, she never stopped. Like, I just think that's the coolest thing. Like, to this day, I'm like, my mom is, she's the raddest.
0: Yeah, prayer is powerful regardless of what you believe in or don't believe in. Prayer is powerful. Pushing positive thought out into the world is powerful. And, you know, that probably did contribute to keeping you safe and keeping you connected to them, your family. So you're living, have you been, so up to this point, had you started using hard substances or were you still alcohol and weed and
1: alcohol and weed but then we started to like kind of put the coke on the weed in the bong type thing with the cocoa plus they call it or something Then we were doing that and then it got to like actually doing lines of coke um and then I got to like this point because I had dropped out of high school like I didn't want to be like a high school dropout I wanted to at least go get my degree and um at that time uh GEDs wasn't like a huge thing so it was like I'm gonna get my not my degree my diploma. diploma yeah yeah and so I went back to school which is crazy I was still living in this abusive gross terrible home um and going walking down the street to my mom and dad's business and doing homeschool and answering phones for a few extra bucks like and ended up finishing high school and walking and wearing a cap and gown and I knew that was something my parents really wanted for me and but I wasn't going to do it for them so it was like it, I got to a point that like I wanted to do it for me and I'm so glad that I did to this day it was one of the best decisions I made with the worst head on my shoulders <laughs> you know
0: yeah well that's yeah that's good so what happened after you graduated high school I decided I wanted to go
1: I wanted to become a veterinary assistant so I went to Pima Medical Institute and I was working Uh, for Mossy Ford at the time, and also Einstein bagels. Whoop, whoop, that was really fun I
0: fucking love, let's just take a moment to acknowledge how delicious Einstein's bagels are. I mean, their cream
1: cheese is above it
0: like they're everything oh my god i would relapse on gluten just to eat an einstein's bagels. yeah they're pretty epic <laughs> they're epic they're still epic <laughs> so but, you were working like two jobs and, and doing all kinds of things but you're still living in this toxic environment with this dude so what was keeping you there
1: i guess i don't i really don't know was it I, him
0: like like were I, it you it was a
1: very yeah i was i thought i was in love it was my first like real like relationship like I mean I'd had like one other relationship before that but like this was like the first one like because I moved in like right away it was like yeah I felt very like I needed him for whatever reason when I really could have gone home at any point like it, that yeah. was there but I was not going to go home for whatever reason I didn't want to go home
0: <laughs> yeah well he was meeting some sort of need you like, know like yeah we <laughs> we tend to latch on it seems like those of us that have a lot of trauma, childhood trauma, we will latch on to other people that have childhood trauma.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm like a I'm a chronic like relationship person, like if I get with you, like we're going to be in it forever. Like yeah. and that's how I am. Like and if it ends, like I'm going right into the next one and we're going to be in it forever. That's you how
0: know? you were. That's how it was. That's how you were. That's right. <laughs> because you have not been that way since I've met you.
1: I know. And it's been such a learning process. <laughs>
0: so you're you're doing the things at least to get by you know financially you have a couple jobs you're you know what is your like so during this time what was your relationship like with Hank and Candy like were they just trying to meet you where you were at or what were they trying to do definitely and I
1: think like it came from when I first ran away they were like we're gonna go get her like let's go get her but Um, the same youth pastor was like, don't buy her a car, also said, like, don't chase her. Like, don't do that. And so they didn't. And I think I actually held, like, a resentment at one point for, like, them not coming to get me. And I, you know, how our brains work. I'm like, well, it's their fault I became a drug addict because they didn't come get me or put me in rehab or whatever, you know. But, you know, my life... Went the way it did for a reason, and I am who I am because of it. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and there's also that, you know, that abandonment wound, you know, the deep wound from your biological mother. I'm sure it's like we, because I've been there, I have abandonment, you know, mommy issues as well. And so I know that feeling of like leaving someone or something and wanting them to like come get me and like tell me it's going to be okay and like comfort me and like, and do that. But it's like they don't know (laughs) they don't know that we're thinking that you know no one can read anyone's mind and a lot of times parents are doing the best that they can do like your parents were just doing what they could do and they were obviously seeking support through their church and their pastor and stuff um but, yeah, uh, uh, I'm sure, we, I mean, we have, similar, we have similar dynamics in the way we, op- we both operate um, or used to operate in relationships, and it comes from that abandonment wound. And so it's interesting to look back and see that pattern of, like, okay, if that would have happened there, it probably would have been different. Right. But it didn't, and then you kept on going. Kept on going. Kept on, going. <laughs> kept on kept keeping on or whatever yeah. and, and attracting some, some amazing, men
1: (laughs) oh my gosh the best
0: so who so so how long did you stay with this guy
1: we were together I would say three years and like at the end of the relationship my dad helped me and a friend get an apartment and I had all intent of like that was my get out like get away from him but somehow he ended up kind of coming to and then he ended up like starting to cheat on me with somebody in the apartment complex but like at this point I didn't even care like I was going to TJ with my friends like hooking up with my best friend like it's in it like we weren't really in a relationship anymore I don't even know what he was doing there anymore um and we ended up losing the apartment because I mean we were 19 18 19 years old like kind of partying and we ended up losing the apartment and I ended up my dad gave me an apartment of my own and I think that guy ended up coming there for a little bit, too. I don't know. Couldn't
0: let it go. Yeah, I
1: really couldn't. We hold
0: on with, with claws, man. Yeah,
1: until my ex from before him kind of came back in my life. And when he came back in my life, so this was, like, the guy I lost my virginity to when I was, like, 12. And he came back on the scene, and I'm like, this is my sign to, like, really get out of this. So, like, moved him in and the other guy out. Like, that was my way of like the good old switcheroo yes and and it was wonderful at first like he was he treated me so great and then um things ended up happening with that apartment i ended up moving in with him at his mom's house in a trailer park in linda vista and we started using coke pretty heavily um the first part of our relationship was mostly just drinking but then the coke came in and i remember one time we went to go to re-up on some coke and the lady gave us meth didn't tell us and it was on and cracking after that ooh, ooh, I, and that was back you know I was that's like what 20 almost 20 years ago the meth was a bit different back then it was the kind where you don't sleep for eight days you don't eat you don't none of that you're seeing all the shadow people it was two <laughs> years of complete chaos for me like wow and again with abusive like once the drugs started in that relationship the like the not trust the abuse the i mean what once was such a lovely i would say relationship and like partnership we got along really nicely with when the drugs were involved it became diabolical man it was like yeah
0: oh i can imagine i mean i've never I've never uh, heard of like a super healthy relationship that's just like working out great and everyone's like smoking meth. No, you know, like like (laughs) I've never heard of that. No. Um, but wow, yeah, it's you know, it's clear, it's clear to me. I can see the pattern of like what you were, what you were doing. You know, you were like you were seeking love. You wanted to be loved and seen and heard, and you were, you know, you were just getting it in the wrong places and kind of just deteriorating as time went on with the substance use. So I can imagine that you had a ser- still zero relationship with your higher power with God at this time. No, I I mean, I would
1: cry out sometimes, like, after, like, a really bad, I don't know, like, a bad trip or something. I, I remember definitely crying out, like, God save me. Like, I don't want to live like this type stuff. But never, like... Really seriously, like God save me, get me! <laughs> like it was more like I don't want to feel this right now. Like get me out of this right now, like not yeah. like get me out of this forever type thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So at this time you're like in your early twenties, mid twenties, early
1: twenties. Like twenty, twenty, twenty one is like when things got really bad in that relationship. Um, we were just hanging out with some really like, awful bad people, like the kind of people you hang out in those situations. And I ended up um, getting assaulted by two people that I thought were really good friends of mine at that time. Um, And that was a pivotal moment for me, like, in my 20s. Um, That was a time where I actually really cried out for God and like really wanted to get out and really wanted help. Um, I had never been that broken in my whole life, I don't think. Um, Because even, like, the stuff that happened as a baby, like, this stuff in my 20s, like, I'm 1,000% aware. I know exactly what happened. Um, It was a really awful experience. I was drugged. Um, and And that really it made me feel worthless. It made me feel dirty. It made me feel like nobody could ever love this person like this, you know? So I, that was when I really, but really cried out to God, but wasn't really a hundred percent ready to like fix, fix it yet. Um, and I remember at that point, a friend of mine, her parents were pretty wealthy and they put us up in a hotel to like get clean. So we spent like a week and a half in this hotel, just like eating, sleeping, crying. she, she was the only person that knew what had happened to me. So she was just really trying to be there for me. Um, and then after that, I went home. And um, I remember just, like, walking up to the door thinking, I can't believe I'm back here, <laughs> you know. Um, and I thought it was going to work. But, like, I was still, like, in party mode. Um, and so I was going out again, um, trying to, like, numb this new pain that I had. And that's, like, when my love with alcohol just, like, ugh, me and alcohol really became the besties. And my alcoholism was, like, probably the worst of all my addictions. Like, me as an alcoholic is
0: disgusting. alcohol is fucking gnarly, dude. Like, I I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, like, it's just alcohol. Mm -hmm. Or, like, oh, I only, like, had a problem with alcohol. I only drank. But, like, Mm -hmm. I mean... If you take a pharmacology class, you will learn that alcohol is the most damaging and horrible substance out of all of the addictive substances by far. It's horrible.
1: It's terrible. And I tell people all the time, like, and I work with people in my building that are, like, drinking, like, the way I drink. And I'm, like, just want to help them. But I get it at the same time, like, that, like, not being ready. You have to be ready or it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. And as long as it's still doing something for you, like... I can see how young early 20s Rosie, you know, how maybe you were desperate to be out of the situation you were in at the time, but the alcohol was still serving a purpose. It was it was easing the pain. Yeah. And now you have more more trauma on top of what you were already self-medicating over. And right. so, you know, it makes perfect sense that you would turn and go deeper in even though to like a normal person a normal person may say well whatever normal is right but they they may say like oh like i don't understand why this person just overdosed or this person just got assaulted or this person just lost their kids i cannot believe they're going to continue to use or drink and i'm like i can yeah i can totally totally get that because (laughs) that makes perfect sense that they're going to do that because they have no other coping skill to deal with that pain and shame So, I'm really sorry that that happened to you.
1: Yeah, it it was definitely one of I don't wish that upon anybody, but like we know like in this in this lifestyle in that lifestyle, it happens a lot to women and and men because that night that that happened, it didn't just happen to me, it had happened to my boyfriend at the time too. So, um which made him just more angry and I had to like cut all ties with this guy cuz He was so angry after that and um, ended up, I ended up having a big thing with him where he like essentially kidnapped me, held a gun to my head for days. Holy shit. Yeah. Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Was this, so this is the
1: guy. The same guy. The same, the boyfriend you guys are. So this is like right before we ended up getting clean in the hotel room. It was, so this, this thing happened and this guy like kidnapped me held me at gunpoint for, like, days on, like, a meth bender, right? He's, like, sweating, hasn't slept in, like, probably two weeks, you know? Oh, my God. It was the scariest thing of my life, and I just remember getting out of that when he fell asleep, and, like, I was butt-ass naked running down Linda Vista Road, like, Holy yeah, shit. until someone picked me up, and I, that's, that's what like, when I started to get help with my friend, and, yeah, it was fucked up. <laughs> fucked what up. the fuck? Yeah, and then, so got clean but i still was drinking and started going to the bar like i got home like a week and a half after i stopped drinking or stopped using meth um went back home and my parents are like okay these are the things you can't do you got to be home every night blah 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 you know you can't use in the house you know normal things a parent would say um and i started immediately not coming home at night like because i would blackout drunk places and right like it's um, hard
0: to get home if you don't even know where the fuck you're at (laughs) right my dad would warn me like you keep doing
1: this like we're gonna pack up your stuff and it's gonna be like in the street and i i never thought they would do that um but i ended up like maybe a week after moving back in with my parents meeting some guy at a tattoo shop and
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And he he took me out on a date, but he was super creepy, like, and gave me, like, all the bad. Like, he he actually made me feel like I was back in that, like, creepy time that, like, all that bad stuff. Oh, no. So I, like, never called him again. But, like, one day I'm, like, super drunk with my friend walking by the tattoo shop and one of his tattoo artists come out and he's like, hey, Eric really wants you to call him. And I'm like, um, yeah, absolutely not. But here's my number. You can call me. And... That ended up being my daughter's dad. player. <laughs> and then, yeah. And I just saw this man. Like, here's m- what my mind was thinking in that moment. This guy is so strong. He came out in this, like, wife-beater. He's all yoked and tatted. I'm like, that man's going to keep me safe. That man's going to protect me. That's where my head went. Because, yeah. like, I felt so unsafe in the world. Like, I felt like yes. that's what I needed.
0: You did and, need that in a way. I mean, you needed to feel safe. Right. And he, that man loved me. Like, he really loved me.
1: Um, I didn't know anything about this guy, like, up until when I found out I was pregnant, like, three weeks later. Um, I found out he was, like, 20 years older than me, which he didn't look at, like, Damn, prison 20... preserves.
0: Prison <laughs> does preserve. I prison wonder preserves. if there's any science or studies about that, because I do feel like prison does preserve people. It,
1: it does, because he did not look like he was 42. And I was 22 at the time, so, like, um, I remember... Emailing my mom from the tattoo shop. So at this point I had not come home a bunch and my parents did put my stuff out. And um there was a home in the back of the tattoo shop. So creepy tattoo owner, his house. I end up moving in there with his tattoo artist and like a bunch of strippers. Um there's like a strip pole, like it was I mean party pad. Um and I find out I'm I'm pregnant pretty quick. Like we probably got pregnant the first time. What was
0: your first like thoughts when when you found out did you take a dipstick
1: so yes i did take a dipstick and then we went to a planned parenthood but so here's another thing rosie's brain he really wanted a kid like and he told me that immediately so
0: he might have fucking done that on purpose yeah i mean
1: yes but i thought oh that might work a baby might work
0: Like a baby might bring you the love and like the safety you're seeking. And that's just, and that's like, I mean, that is something that so many women go through. Like thinking like a baby is going to, I mean, a baby does change your life, period. Totally does. Definitely. But like you see it a lot um, where people are trying to like have a kid for like their own emotional gain or like to fix their relationship and it's just like I think it's human nature to do that right because like we just so desperately want to be loved and connected and safe like it's so sad um but damn like (laughs) okay so you found out you're pregnant you're like
1: so I email my mom and I'm like hey mom I'm pregnant like not even three minutes after I sent the email we get a ring at the tattoo shop, and oh my it's my God. mom calling Candy
0: was on it. She was on the computer on fucking <laughs> AOL.com. It was AOL. At that, mo- at that very moment. Yes, and I knew she would be. That's <laughs>
1: why I sent the email, but I didn't know she was going to call. Like, I thought she'd at least, like, have a conversation I can imagine with her Hank
0: first. <laughs> I can imagine her calling and being like, Hello, this is Candy Sabrandi. I'm calling for my daughter, Rosie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because
0: she's so sweet. Like, this woman is just, you know, the sweetest lady. She really is. Oh Yeah, so they're, like,
1: pretty much, long story short, when are you guys going to get married? Because, like, as a Christian, like, like marriage and then baby. But, like, obviously we did it a little wacky. But, like, you guys are going to get married, right? Like, because now you have this family.
0: Did you feel like that was a pressure or was that something that you also wanted to do? I
1: felt like it was the right thing to do. Okay. Like, definitely wasn't what I wanted at that time but i thought it was the right thing so then yeah kind of wanted it because i thought it was right if that makes any sense yeah that makes sense so so we're in this tattoo shop um the tattoo art like owner guy finds out i'm pregnant and starts being like super mean to me because if you remember he originally had wanted me and it didn't work out um so one day like someone there was a lot of strippers that live there too and i love me some strippers but like They don't know how to put the cap on the milk sometimes, or maybe that's anybody, but they didn't, and he blamed it on me because he went to shake it, and it went all over him, and so he got his studded belt out and, like, whipped me with it, like, and I was bleeding, and my husband, well, he wasn't my husband then, but he lost it, but, like, he was probably about to kill him, but he's like, we can do better, so he ended up taking, like, five or ten grand, and we took off and never went back.
0: Rob that fool. We did.
1: And I do not
0: condone robbing no, people. Me neither. But a hey, in that kind of situation yeah. where he like that guy like beat the shit out of you when you're pregnant fucking rob that fool. Dude. Yeah. So
1: we ended up like going to stay at one of these SROs downtown. I can't remember the name of it. But it was disgusting. Was it
0: the Golden West? It
1: wasn't but just as bad.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: And um, I just remember thinking this is my life now. I'm pregnant. Like I'm sharing a shower with like all these nasty, not nasty, but like at that time, I was like, "This is gross." Like, I came from Hank and Candy's house, and I'm in the Peach Tree, or whatever it's called, yeah. and um, and it was just a different world for me. And to, I was wearing shower shoes, and um, pregnant, and there was probably bed bugs. Like, it was pretty bad. Oh, all
0: the SROs had bed bugs. Yeah,
1: and it was at that point that my baby dad, because at that time he was just my like baby daddy, um he started to act different so like I had I was a tweaker like I knew how tweakers acted I did not know how heroin addicts acted so like I thought he was just drunk like when he was like rubbing his face or like like I thought he was drunk like nodding out like because he was a drinker um but eventually found out that like he was using heroin I think I was about four months pregnant when I found out he was using heroin again Mm. and um this is, like, we're planning a wedding. We're about to go to Vegas, like, for a planned wedding. And so, but he's, like, I'm going to get better, I swear. And he's, like, getting on methadone. But I'm not realizing he's doing methadone and heroin at the same time. Oh, yeah. You
0: got you got to do heroin with the methadone. Yeah. Well, you know? I know
1: that now because I did <laughs> that. But um, uh, at this time, I'm still, like, this is, like, another world to me. And I was, like, so against heroin because of my birth mom. Like, and I just, it just never was something I –
0: Birth mom was a heroin addict. Yeah.
1: So I just never wanted that stuff around me. And um, even though I was a tweaker, I was like, that's cool.
0: That's you know? how most tweakers were <laughs> when I was using, like, they were like, you can't do heroin here. Oh, yeah. I'd walk and into like, like a
1: drug house and see someone like using heroin. I'd be like, ah,
0: no. Yeah. Like, you're going to, you're going to like overdose here. You're going to yeah. have to like go outside. And I would just think, like, God, you're literally like dissembling a fucking VCR while you're hitting meth out of a quag. Right.
1: (laughs) It's filthy. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, So, we end up getting married. We go to Vegas. Like, my brother comes. My mom and dad are there. Like, we have the outfits. I have bridesmaids. He has groomsmen. It was, like, the real deal, right? Um, We get there, and our wedding is the next day at the world-famous Elvis Chapel. And we... The next morning he wakes up and he's like freaking out. I have a warrant here. We have to go, like blah, blah, blah. We get in the car and we leave.
0: Uh yeah. yeah. Something's going on.
1: So I'm like crying the whole time. I'm pregnant, crying. And it's you my just abandon your whole
0: family? Oh yeah. Like you guys like snug out the back. And yeah. Then... So he's like, we're gonna get
1: back in time, I swear. No. We drove to San Diego to get twenty dollars
0: worth of heroin. So that, oh that fool could have just went there's so that's what I'm there's saying. There's so many places he could it's Las Vegas. You could get that shit in a lot of places. Yeah, I think there was more to it that but I'm it was yeah. I get it though. When you're sick like you're dope sick and you think you brought enough and you didn't and you start to get sick, dude, your brain you start acting crazy. You start yeah. doing whatever you gotta do to get that fixed, even if it's a twenty dollar sack. You don't care. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was bad. So we drive to San Diego, Limo comes to pick up the wedding party. Rosie and Patrick are nowhere to be seen. Um, we have everybody calling us. I don't even know what to say to answer the phone, so I'm not answering my phone. Um,
0: You're and... like, um, hey, I forgot, uh, I forgot my special earrings. Uh, yeah, San my Diego. something
1: blue is. back Yeah, at home. I
0: needed something blue, something <laughs>
1: borrowed. <laughs> so we end up getting back to Vegas. Like I don't know, we made it home to San Diego and back to Vegas. I feel like in eight hours, like flat, like. Yeah, And he got high, like, in San Diego. So, I mean, it was pretty quick. But we missed the wedding. Um, (laughs) The next day, we ended up getting married at the Excalibur. Um, So, like, we had to extend our trip.
0: What did you guys tell your family? I can't even remember. I think he said,
1: like, something like he had to go get some paperwork. or I have no idea. I can't even remember right now, like, what we ended up saying. But they were just like, whatever like let's just get
0: this shit done so you guys can have a kid and be married when you have it yeah so yeah
1: that night before like the Excalibur wedding like it was like crazy his one groomsman was there with like his wife who just had a baby he like went off using him and my husband had used together he went off and cheated on his wife she's knocking at my door at one in the morning like where's my husband the baby it was like all this My, my maid of honor cracked her head open and like so she had to get like staple or something in her head so and then the next day we get married my my one girl has like band-aids on her head the one girl's like all mad because like her dude just cheated so they're standing like opposite of each other just hating it like she wants to kill him like he's like got his head down the whole time and then my husband has blood on his collar because he just did a shot and didn't wipe the blood afterwards so like it was so ghetto my wedding like really ghetto i'm like crying because this is not the way that i thought it's like not
0: happy tears it's like literally no i'm like this isn't how this is supposed
1: to be (laughs) like but we end up getting married and i will say this though about patrick he loved me he had a problem like he was i mean he was an institutionalized man like with a horrible drug problem that i thought could fix me for some reason, you know? Yeah. Like, but that man loved me. He really did. Um he just he he was had problems. <laughs> yeah. So So
0: along comes the baby.
1: The most perfect baby ever. Um and yeah, so Callie's born. I had a really rough pregnancy.
0: Um I'm
1: not surprised. There was literally <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so much
0: bullshit going on. Yeah,
1: it was bad. And um she came along and Just perfect. Um, When I came home from the hospital, he had a friend come and stay with us because at the same time I'm coming home from the hospital, he decides that he's ready to kick heroin. So I'm like there with a newborn baby and my husband kicking heroin. And he was he was a way bigger baby than she was with (sighs) kicking heroin. I'm telling you, like he he was like on the bathroom floor It's like like I said, something I'd never seen before. Like I'm not used to this. I'm used to tweakers. Like,
0: yeah, not go this. to bed, eat yeah. something, go to bed. Yeah,
1: but like this, like crying and agony. And I'm like, what? The- like, why does anybody do this? <laughs> like, why would anybody want this? And still not understanding. Um, he ends up relapsing. Um, after he, I don't think the really getting clean worked. I don't think it. He ever really stopped. Stopped. But uh, the guy that had come with him to help him get clean. They ended up getting caught in, like, our weight room. Like, my dad had given us this beautiful
0: condo. Like, freaking
1: beautiful condo. Like
0: Your dad loves to give um, apartments yeah, and condos. Yeah, so
1: he gives us this condo. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous place. And we end up getting kicked out because Callie's dad overdosed in the weight room. And they, like, found the needle, found it all. And so we end up moving into, like, a sober living in, I want to say, in Canto. Or something like that, and it was like a three-story house. They gave us the bottom, like basement, and he was using the whole time. Um, and and I think I left out like that he had gone to jail and was on probation now or something. And so his probation officer, they did like a parole probation sweep in the area and came to our house and like raided the house. And there was like they found. Like, his cooking stuff, like, under my daughter's mattress. Jesus. And, yeah. So, that's... He ended up going to prison that day. Um, and my mom came and, like, picked me and Callie up. And at this time, I'm not using, I'm, dr- I'm not using, like, dope or anything. I'm drinking a lot, like, again. And I'm, like, drinking, breastfeeding my kid. Like, I'm not thinking, you know? And, um, but my mom comes to get us. I'm drunk. You know, she doesn't really know that I'm drunk. Um, And we end up moving in with my parents at that point, me and Callie. And we try to, like, me and my husband try to work things out. Like, he, I think he did two years at that point. And then he got out. We tried to, like, get together. Um, I remember we stayed in a motel, like, the night he got out with Callie. And then the next day he was supposed to go. He asked me for some money, and he was supposed to go check in with his parole officer. He disappeared. And um, and it was like that for a couple years, like he'd go in and he'd come out, he'd go in and he'd come out and he'd be in this halfway house and he'd be over here mm. um, and he'd never really stay clean until like about seven years later of that doing that dance with him. I finally like filed for divorce and then um, ended up serving him while he was
0: locked up. So so Callie didn't really get to have a relationship with her dad.
1: No um just through mail and like the couple times they did see each other there was times like he was like I want to see my daughter and we never would deny him that but we wouldn't like tell Callie like hey we're going to the park to see your dad we'd just be like we're going to the park because we knew like there was a 50 50 chance he didn't show up and he never did
0: trying to protect yeah yeah and and I remember like he passed away Right around the time I met you. Yeah, like right. Right after, after we met and started working together. So he, he died in his disease. He
1: did. And I, I had kind of mentally prepared myself to like hear that, yeah, Patrick died of an overdose. Like it's what I always expected to hear. Um, but he ended up getting hit by a car, like trying to cross the 163 freeway on his bicycle. And so he was like out there. Yeah, he was out there. He was he had been downtown. I mean, I would say most of Callie's life. If he wasn't in jail, he was downtown.
0: It's so sad because it's it's like such a failure. Like, it's easy to like blame the addict or the person, but it's also such a failure of the system to integrate these men and women back into society. You know, it's like the fucking halfway houses and the shit that they do when they get out to transition. It's so subpar. to like what would be needed to like really integrate them into society like get them into a trade you know get them in give them a trade and i know some prisons you can learn a trade um but there's just not enough you know there's just not enough um and the whole prison system in the u.s is so fucking fucked i could have a whole podcast maybe we will someday when i feel like doing actual more research but it's just it is a huge, it's policy failure. It's a failure of our society because these are, yes, they're addicts and yes, they break the law and they, some of them are truly criminals, but they're human beings as well, you know, and like they have families. Like this guy was in and out of prison, but the whole time he has a fucking wife and a, and a young child. Yeah. And I'm sure he wanted to get better a lot of the time, but addiction, you know, you need help.
1: And I know for a fact, and I said it a little bit earlier, that man loved me. And that man loved his daughter. He really did. But he was very, very sick. Like, and he, I mean, he'd been in and out of, like, the institutions since he was 13. Yeah. So, I mean, and, like, for long terms. Like, he was there from, like, 13 to 21. And so, like, that's, like, his whole adolescence. Like, so I, I get it, you know? But I thought I could fix him.
0: Right. You could fix him and then he'll stay with you forever and yeah. love you. And then that's that was my dynamic a lot, too. Like... Like yeah, this person's fucked up, but like they make me feel so loved and I could help them and fix them and then they'll love me and never leave me and then I don't have to be abandoned. Right. It's like the real dynamic of the codependent. Um So so yeah, so during this time I, you know, like, "Where's your where's your spirituality at?" you know, like, "What's So during
1: that time, like while I was with him, I was drinking so heavily. So drinking was my coper that was it I I was drinking so much but I was also like attempting to be a functional member of society um, and hide my alcoholism from my parents which was I thought I was doing a real good job until I I had I have a bum knee so I every once in a while my knee would pop out and I would get pain meds and so at during this time I'm drinking like a handle bottle of really cheap vodka a day to myself and like not being able to function when I get up in the morning. But then I hurt my knee and I get this prescription for perks and I take the like pretty much the entire bottle. There was, I think, 15, 14 in the bottle. I took them all with a fifth of vodka and that uh, was a bad idea. And (laughs) um, I just remember like the paramedics coming. I remember like it was like you know, z- 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 like things fly- going by my head. And one of them was like the paramedic. He was like this dude from my high school that like, I thought was super hot. And he was actually the paramedic there. And I'm like, this is really embarrassing. Twisted. So embarrassing. And then like my dad's holding my daughter and the gurney's going by. And I'm like thinking, this is like so fucked up. Like my kid just saw me leave on a gurney. I couldn't talk because like whatever the alcohol and the mixture of the Percocets, I was saying stuff, but nothing was coming out. And, um, they ended up obviously going to the hospital, dealing with the overdose portion and then putting me into, to the mental hospital. And I was there for like two weeks. They were for sure that I was trying to kill myself. Um, and I kept telling them, no, I just wanted to go to sleep, which in my mind, I did really want to go to sleep. But I, if I remember correctly, my dad was like nagging me like at the time or what I would consider nagging. Cause I was drunk and I just like wanted to tune everything out. And so I drank that bottle. Yeah.
0: But your intention wasn't to kill no, yourself. And you probably didn't need to be in the psych ward. You need no, to be in treatment.
1: <laughs> no. So they put me in the psych ward. And actually, I think it was super good for me because I did have a severe, like I was severely, I was dealing with PTSD, like nightmares um, constantly from the trauma that had happened in my early 20s. I was dealing with that like nonstop. Um, I needed to, I needed help. Like, yeah. so I, they did like end up putting me on some medication for like depression, anxiety, which again, my addiction always takes me away from the medication. Like if I start using, I stop taking the medication. Um, but I ended up going to like a crisis house, at Vista Balboa and going there and meeting a guy because that's what we do. It was true love. Yep.
0: At Vista Balboa.
1: Yep. And, um, Started hanging out with him. He had kids, so I thought, this is perfect. He has kids. I have kids. We have kids. Like It's like a normal, that's what people do. Um, That was horrible, and I just got back into my normal stuff. Um, Started kind of drinking a little bit again, but, like, realized, oops, like, this is about to get bad. And so some friends of mine that are missionaries in Mexico invited me to come down there and kind of, like, regroup. And Did you reconnect with your higher power? That is where I reconnected majorly with my higher power was Mexico. And you were doing a lot of service, right? I was doing a ton of service. I was working in this in this church. Like, at first, I was, like, doing the nastiest of jobs. Now, in Mexico, they don't use toilet – I mean, they use toilet paper, but they don't flush it. So I was cleaning these bathrooms at this church, like, 14 stalls and, like, picking up piles of, like, shit toilet paper every day for, like – the first three months I was there and I was crying the entire time, mopping these gigantic buildings, like, and just crying. Like, why is, why am I here? God, this isn't what I'm here for. Like, like send me to do the good stuff. Like, and I know in that moment, like now that I'm here, I look back and I'm like, I needed that. Like it was humility. Yeah. It was humility and it was structure. And, um, and I lived with some people like that at the time, like I, I thought they hated me, but it was just like a language barrier um and I ended up like falling in love with like God again and with the culture there, and ended up coming home six months later, but kind of I don't think it was like a good timing for me to come home. I got a job, but like as a mom, I thought I did everything right, like I went and I got better and all this stuff, so I want my kid back now, like give me my kid, and it didn't work like that, so then. Things didn't go Rosie's way, so I went back down my little rabbit hole of disaster, but this time heroin was brought into the rabbit hole of disaster. So I'm 30, I'm in my 30s, you know, and
0: uh, now I'm doing heroin. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, if you you thought you were going to, like, get your kid back and everything's going to be better and we like we get these fantasies in our head like we we get clean for a little bit and we're like yeah like everything's gonna be perfect but like we damage relationships you know we damage relationships we make horrible mistakes and sometimes it takes time you know before people will trust us again you know and and, but thank god your parents had callie you know and they're good people and they had her and she was safe and loved and fed and she wasn't in the system um that's like you know, that in itself was definitely a higher power, I think, working in your life, like, to keep that child with them and oh, safe, yeah. you know?
1: And, like, the constant prayers, like, of my family and, like, the, their church and, like, m- like my extended family, like, there was mad people praying for Rosie, like, specifically. And, like, I have people now come up to me and go, man, I was praying for you for years. Like, it's so awesome to see you like this. And, like, that, that's wild. That, like, I got goosebumps like just saying it because like like I'm a I'm a testimony like I mean that I'm a living testimony you know of like of what prayer can do what like people not giving up on you can do like my parents never gave up on me even in the moments where I thought like they did like those two never gave up on me like never once even if I thought like they they're done like they don't want nothing more to do with me they were silently praying in their home for me that I would get better like yeah, And it saved me.
0: So tell me, tell me about your, your bottom. Your, what was your bottom before you actually you know, entered into recovery? So surprisingly, I had,
1: I had never really been to jail just once um, for like a drunken public at the airport type deal. Um, and so I think starting to go to jail was, was a pivotal moment for me. And also um, in the end, I, I was in this, again, toxic relationship this dude was beating me up, he was, it was, we were living on the streets, um, it was the worst I had ever been, because I had never not had a place to lay my head at night, that was, this was all new to me, so I'm, like, downtown in the thick of it, with this, with this kid named Shorty, who's beating me up, he's, like, the same height as me, but he's, like, whooping my ass every okay, day, okay, Shorty, yeah, we don't like you, Shorty, Um, and uh, ended up getting in a lot of trouble, like, I ended up buying some this box off this lady. Right. And I'm already got like a couple warrants for my arrest. And I buy this box off this lady. um, And it had like 10 grams of crystal in it. It had eight grams of. No, it had an ounce of meth and like 10 grams of coke and some weed. Right. And meth gone like immediately. Um, Coke who does coke anymore you know so I, had, I was sitting on this coke for like a long time and i get busted right outside of a psychic of all places i'm like sitting outside the ah, psychic.
0: that psychic got with jesus <laughs> and they knew what was gonna right. happen and this one
1: <laughs> this one cop jc wall never forget but he was like on my ass and and actually to this day i think like he's kind of like an angel because i think he knew something like he was trying to get me out of it like Cause I think he saw, like, this girl doesn't belong here, kind of thing. And he was like, on my ass. I'm like, why won't this guy leave me alone? But that time that I got busted with that Coke, they offered me four years, four and a half years. Um, cause I had had, I had been repeatedly getting in trouble. And, um, then they offered me the drug court program. And I'm like, I'll take it. But I had all plans of just running to Oregon to be with this abusive shorty guy. And, um, uh, god had a different plan and i know it was god because i got into this program and i had all intent on running and this that dude shorty ended up breaking into my sober living and whooping my ass in front of my roommate and oh my god yeah and it was like at that moment that i was like i gotta do something different like because because right after it happened my daughter called my phone and i was like something's got to give like because yeah. i'm like just now getting my kid back in my life like slowly Um, my parents are like really glad I'm in this program. Like, and, and I do want to point out that while I was in jail, like it was really hard to talk to my parents, but there was these two people from the church, from my parents church, Mari and Bob and Bob sent me a couple packages. Mari answered my phone calls. So did Bob. And, and if it wasn't for those two people, like, I don't know if I, if everything would have gone the way it went, like when I got out, because my parents weren't really ready to be like gung ho Rosie. But those two people were, were in my corner, like, and, yeah. and just there for me. Um, Bob started taking me to meetings, like to Christian, like, um, celebration, cel- celebrate, celebrate recovery, celebrate recovery meetings. And, um, and so after that, that whole beat up situation in my sober living, um, I got like serious about like, that I needed to do something different. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this program. I'm going to do this program to the best of my ability and see how how that goes. So like I immediately got a job. Um I was working at Phil's barbecue which was like kind of a drug court thing to do um cuz it was right across the street. But then COVID happened and put a, like a wrench in my thing and like for me, if I'm like going to get clean, I need like structure and I need stability. So like having a job was essential for me because I I the idle hands, you know, and the idle time it's yeah. it's not good for me or anybody really. But so um that's when I started seeing all these ads on on Facebook for we are working at Starbucks so I got a job at Starbucks and and I just like I did that program like 110% like because I I saw it working for me and um I saw that meetings going to meetings was working for me um even though they were like on Zoom I was doing them like regularly like three a day um and then like as my program kind of came to an end Um, I was like, kind of, I kind of got, got scared. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out there on my own, you know? And I never really had like a desire to, to be an NA, like, like, like a super NA girl or anything like, (laughs) you know, have a, have a sponsor and like all this stuff. But I, I saw it working for people like that I knew out in my addiction and stuff. And I saw it working for people that like, I admired. Like I saw these people like that I was friends with on Facebook, but like not really friends with in real life. And I'm like, damn, like that's the life I want. Like I'm seeing these women like having these bomb lives and like, and they're doing it like in recovery. And I'm like, okay, like maybe this is what I need. So like, I remember I saw your sponsor uh, all over Facebook and I'm like, I want that woman to be my sponsor. And she wasn't taking sponsors and, and a good friend of mine, Courtney said, well, my roommate is. And that's how I got introduced to you. And that was so life changing for me because it entered me into this program of Narcotics Anonymous for me. And um, but which is a spiritual program. But I'm like around all these people that don't believe in God, you know, and it really opened me up to like other people's beliefs. Like I'm s- like I used to just be like it. God's the only way, you know, and Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. But. But for me, it's, it's the way for me. Like, yeah. that's my way. But yeah. some of my closest friends, like, don't believe in that. But we are yeah. still the closest of friends. Like, I look at you and me, like, kind of opposites sometimes with our beliefs. But, like, but we have a beautiful relationship because we respect each other's beliefs. Like, And I think yeah. that's, like, huge. And, and I didn't gain that type of mindset until I was in recovery, like. I was very closed off. Like now I have friends that yeah, I have friends of all kinds of religions and relationships. Their higher powers are all kinds of different things. But we all respect each other in our beliefs. And I think that that's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, it's many pathways to the same source. I mean, even the atheist serves a purpose in our community and society um, because it's all a spectrum and it's all just different pathways. And I think like the most important thing is that we have community mm-hmm. and support and it is like so essential as human beings to have a tribe and have that supportive community. And, and that's part of why church works so well for some people. Um, it's not just Jesus and, and the Bible, but it's about that community structure. And then also like the 12-step fellowships, Part of what makes it work so well is the fellowship yeah like you could you could have the steps and you could work them with a sponsor all day long and get a conscious contact with a higher power, but if you don't have some kind of support system, even if it's just a few people, it's gonna be really hard you know to go on because life is gonna happen right and I think the different the different perspectives of spirituality and the different ways people believe and think like I look at it with such an open mind because I used to be so close-minded and I used to be so anti-God and then I was anti-religion and, and, and I even still have some resentments at the Mormon church. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like I'm fucking, like you know, that. still working yeah. on that one, but I remain open yeah. now because, like, I really believe that, like, whatever is going on, whatever the intelligence or the energy is that is in every single person It wants there to be a variety and there to be a diversity among us. Like, I think that is the most beautiful thing ever.
1: Me too. And I look at, like, the – just, like, the amazing, like, sea of people, like, in our community. Like, and we don't all believe the same thing, but we all, like, believe in recovery and what – and recovery does and having our higher power, whoever that may be, for me, Jesus, but for you, maybe something else.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's it's wild. And 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 like the 12 steps were based out of the Oxford Group, which was a Christian group. They originally it was 6 steps before Alcoholics Anonymous started. And it's based in Christian principles. Um, but it is they wanted AA wanted to reach as many people as possible, so they tried to, you know, let's make this a spiritual program, not a religious one. And then NA branched off from that and they really wanted to be all-inclusive with every type of addiction. They wanted to look at addiction as a whole and really put an emphasis on it's a spiritual program, not a religious one, and I just think that that's so amazing, um, and that's really like my whole goal with having a podcast like this is to like share with the world different perspectives, just basic humans, like we're all just regular people. What are the practical things we're doing? For our spirituality. What does our spirituality look like? Because I know there's people that are going to listen to this that are like lost or maybe don't know the way or like they, they're they not quite with the religion thing, but they still want to pray, but they're not like sure how to like, how do I pray without being religious? And it's like, I'm here to just be like, it's okay yeah. to do whatever you want to do. Just be a good person. Yeah. And you're a good Christian because I've watched you and been friends with you and you live by the principles, you are of service to to other people, and you are not trying to force it down anyone's throat. You know, you've never once tried to get me to be Christian or go to church with you or believe what you believe. You've shared with me your experience, and I've listened, you know, and I love that because it makes it attractive to me when you don't try to force me to do it. (laughs) You know, I think
1: I'm like that because, like, as a young person, it was so forced upon... Us. And I don't think my parents ever meant to do that. I think that's just how it felt. They know? were doing what
0: they were taught. Right. To do.
1: And I think having like with my daughter who she she doesn't believe in God, but she was raised, you know, in the church as well. But she's in a in a time right now where she just she's exploring spirituality and who she is. And I and I love that for her. I want her to find it on her own. Um, And for me, like it makes me it helps me to be more open and and. And welcoming to everybody because like my own kid, you know, I got to, I, I, she needs to know I love her no matter what. And, yeah. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah. She's going to find her way. You yeah. Know? She's at that age where like, you know, it's easy to turn away from what you're taught because mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out things for yourself. And, you know, I think it's, it's really cool that she's going to have a parent that's open and understanding and, um is gonna let her kind of just find her own way. Yeah. So um yeah, tell me about tell me about your job a little bit. Yeah, so um
1: I work for Alpha Project, which I think is one of the greatest things San Diego has.
0: Um, we absolutely love Alpha Project. Alpha Project does so much for our community. If you don't know about them, go to their website. I mean if you're looking for ways to be of service, jobs working in the community. Mm-hmm. This um company organization is it a nonprofit? It is a nonprofit. So this nonprofit organization, I mean, they're huge in San Diego. Huge, yeah. They've been around for
1: since the eighties, and um, the, uh, we have multiple shelters around San Diego County. Um, but I specifically work at Alpha Square, which is a two hundred plus um, apartment complex unit. Um, they're all like two hundred and fifty square feet um, apartments, but we. We take the most vulnerable of the population. So like people that are um, elderly, um, dual diagnosis. So a lot of our our residents have severe mental illness um, or, you know, addiction issues,
0: chronic homelessness, chronic
1: homelessness. Everybody that lives in that building has been chronically homeless. And so this can be their forever home. They can live the rest of their life there. That's the beautiful thing about it is they don't have to do anything more like about it. They can live there if they want, but they can also move on. To like an actually like a you know one bedroom apartment if they want to and if if that if that works for them Is,
0: does Alpha Square have the program where they 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 basically voucher you or give you housing for a certain period of time and then you can transfer it to a Section Eight voucher yes so and then move on moving if on you want. yeah
1: so you have to be like two years
0: good standing so like no lease
1: violations or anything like that. Um, for two years and then you can move on and people have so it's
0: similar to like hud housing right where they have the complexes and if you're unfamiliar with any of this and you are curious do not hesitate to reach out to either of us yeah for sure i think it's important to to talk about some of these Mm -hmm. resources and stuff because if i know a lot of my listeners are in the program or they're in recovery or maybe just you know want to help people and God, all of us know somebody that's struggling with severe mental illness, or maybe is on the streets, or can't keep an apartment or a place. So, how does somebody go about um, getting into one of these apartment situations? Like, so,
1: so for our building, you do have to be referred through the housing commission. So, you have to like start your process with the housing commission first and have yourself like a housing navigator. So, most of the people that live, you know, in our building have started in uh, one of the shelters and then utilize the case management in the shelter. So like, that's what I tell people. Like it's huge. Like when people from off the street come in and I give them like a resource packet and I help them out with some resources, I always tell them like, like we can help you get into the shelter, but it's what you do from there. Like, if you don't utilize the resources in the shelter, you're not gonna get past the shelter. Like, yes. you have to put in the work. And some people get in there and they do that. They they start working with Wheels of Change. Like, Alpha Project has a really awesome group called Wheels of Change where people that are in the shelters can go out every day and make 50 bucks a day, you know, working in the community. And I, I, I love think that's that. so rad. It's such an awesome, such an awesome uh, resource for them there. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, they, they start off like that and then get, get a housing navigator. And then uh, we have some criteria that needs to be met for our building. Um, but as long as you meet the criteria and pass, like, the, the initial interviews and stuff, you can get in. And it's, it's a really cool thing because we have case management on site. Um, what I've I taught
0: yoga there. Yeah.
1: So what I do, I, my job is pretty awesome. I, when, I, when I came in, it was, like, to bring life back into the building after COVID. Um, They didn't really have any groups or anything. And now we have, like, a full calendar of, like, groups and events. I take people to, to see musical theater i'm reaching out to the community she took, these,
0: she took these people some of these people to the llama farm out in I, I Hummel. Did multiple times yeah <laughs> like like they she gets to do all this cool stuff and like i was saying about community like like this apartment building in particular what i love about it i had many clients that lived there when i was working for downtown impact and i always loved when clients would get placed there because i knew they would be taken care of because they have staff on site they're doing activities they do lunches, they have donation food and clothing and stuff. And, and like, it It feels like it's like a little community for these people that like so desperately need it. And it's in an area of downtown where like, you're still close to like where the homeless are the unhoused. And so like, people like know that Alpha Square is there and people that live there can still see their friends and stuff out there. And it's like, I don't know. It's a really good good spot. And I yeah. and I know about a lot of SROs and housing places cuz I worked in a housing program mm-hmm. and and I can say without a doubt that Alpha Square is by far one of the best ones because of you guys that work there and and put in so much effort to make it not just an apartment building. Right. You know, to make right. it a, a a community to live in. Right.
1: And, and it's a very special place. I, I don't see myself going anywhere anytime soon. I, no. I, I love it you there. there. You landed
0: there. It was perfect. <laughs> it was like, I mean, because you were working with me over at Downtown Impact. I remember we had a peer support position open on my team, and, and Rosie was working at Starbucks. And she loved working at Starbucks, but she kind of had plateaued her growth there. And I knew, because Rosie is such a light, I knew she needed to be helping people. And I was like, you need to come over here and do peer support with me at Downtown Impact. And um, she did. And and, well, at first she started as a reception and she was still to this day, up to the day I left Downtown Impact, people would say, how's Rosie doing? And she was my favorite receptionist. Like they loved you because you were so kind and such a light to these people coming into this place that it's like nobody feels good walking into a mental health housing program place like it doesn't feel good there's so much stigma something's wrong with me I have to come here but then they get to see you you know and then she moved on to peer support on my team she absolutely killed it went way above and beyond and then I remember she was applying at alpha square or alpha project and I was like oh my God, she's going to leave us. And I was like, no. But I knew she had so much potential to grow, you know. And and peer, peer supports, unfortunately, are not making a livable wage right now in San Diego. And so she needed to move on. And when she got hired at Alpha Square and started doing the activities and I would go see her, man, it was like you had lit up again and you were just like so excited. And all of the activities she started planning and she got me and other friends involved in volunteering and like, I don't know, like, your your spirit is, is a spirit of service. Like, even, and it's wild to me, because after everything you've been through, especially the severe childhood trauma that I know has stuck with you in your body and stuff, like, like trauma is crazy, dude. Like, it, it never... It is. It like, not that it never leaves, but, like, we have to do a lot of work to get it out of our body. But even after all of that, you still want to, like, help people your general attitude is positive and loving and kind and helpful and that blows my mind you know <laughs> like that blows my
1: mind it, it, it remind like and I, I say this to my parents a lot too but like it reminds me a lot of like there's this one i don't know where in the bible it says this but it talks about jesus as he loves the unlovable and i used to as a kid always wonder like what does that mean what does that mean but, like, now I find that, like, my, my mission in life yes. to, is to love the unlovable. I
0: didn't know that was a Bible verse. Yes. I always say that. Yeah. I always say we love the unlovable when I used to work at, at DTI. I did not know that was a Bible verse. Yes. See, I learned something new every time I do this <laughs> yep. podcast. <laughs>
1: yep. Jesus loved the unlovable. And, and I, I feel like that. And, I, like, I make it a mission when I go to work, even if I'm having, like, a bad day. I know, like, some people in my building are having a way worse day. And I want them to know, like, that they can always come to me, and like, things are gonna, like, we'll we'll be fine, you know. Let's work it out, you know. Even if I just make them smile or laugh, you know. And and I have people that tell me, like, thank you, Rosie, for coming here, like, because before you, like, it was it was kind of dark, and because you know, COVID locked out a lot of stuff for a lot of organizations, like we know, like, even with the impact, it was kind of yeah. different, you know. So coming coming in and being able to like grow like my own like little not my own but like start my own little projects and and do things and see what works for people and what doesn't because not everything worked but we have such a great team right now like at alpha project or at alpha square like i brought i brought my bestie noma on which is like has been life-changing like him him and i as a team doing this for like our people has just been an incredible blessing
0: yeah because you both have came from the streets yeah you know and it's 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 amazing and and not everybody has that spirit of service like some people are good at other things you know and and not all like not everybody has that and i learned that when i worked in at downtown impact because i had i was working with like psychiatrists social workers master and bachelor's level peer support i was the substance abuse specialist and like we had all these different people and it's like you could tell like everybody wanted to help but like not everybody has the like empathy right that we do right and and I don't know if it's something that we were born with or if it's something and like God just provided that in us or if it was something that came out of like our struggles but I when I look at somebody that's unhoused and is strung out and is dirty and smelly and they may be talking to themselves I can see the person in there and and totally. if I can get them to talk with me I will, you know, and when I see a homeless person on the street, I say hi to them and I look at them in the face of because yep. they're so used to people just walking by them like they're unseen, they're forgotten or about. Or around them, like like severely around them. It's like, no. Yeah, and, and, and so it's like, yeah, we need people like you. We need people like Noma, yeah. like myself, to be involved in social work and helping others. And um, I know you're working on your AODS degree right now. And, you know, hopefully you'll continue that, continue that, you know, because like social work, like I was just learning in my, in a, in a class, a human services class I'm taking right now about how the history of social work actually is in religion. They used to call it, um, like acts of good faith or something to humanity. It sounded more religious-y and it was based in religion, helping others, being of service. And they changed it to social welfare to make it sound more secular or whatever and um, not so religious. But, like, it's based in, in the do-good that it talks about in the Bible. Right. And even though I'm not somebody that is, like, super Christian and religious, like, I do believe in the lessons in the Bible. I, just like any book I read, if it has good shit in it, I'm going to follow it. Like, I, I'm going to try to live that way. And and social work and working with the unlovable um, is – It's, like, the hardest work, but I really do think it's going to be the work of both of our lifetimes in one form or another. Oh, yeah. We're going to do big things. Yeah, we're going to do big old things. Like, we're going to have something. Like, we're going to do... I
1: already know. Like, I I dream (laughs) about it. Like, me and Bree are going to do big things.
0: Yeah. Like, Like, we're going to have some kind of facility or program or home or something. Like, in the... You know? and, And, like, it's so exciting to be like learning and being in school and like, and then we get to be of service in the program Mm. and we get to use what we learn and go be of service in society. Like it's so exciting because I didn't think I was even going to live through my addiction. Same,
1: same, (laughs) like same. And I look at like a lot of our friends, like the things that like a lot of us should not have made it out. There's, we had everything stacked against us to make it out of this alive, but here we are like thriving, like, giving back to our community like loving people like shining a light like where a lot of people don't want to shine it like but no like we need to make some change in this in this world like there's a lot that needs to be done like in San Diego alone
0: yeah yeah there's always more that's going to need to be done and we need people that want to you know want to be involved in doing it and and yeah so um is there anything else you want to say before we go
1: <laughs> jesus is my homeboy
0: jesus is her homeboy i mean jesus <laughs> is my homeboy too you know like i have definitely been on some jesus shit at different points in my life and and i think jesus was the greatest mystic that ever lived and did amazing things and we can all learn lessons from it you know For sure. um
1: i mean even if you're not a christian like read the bible like there's, so yeah i mean it's historically incredible. it is it's
0: a historical book you know yeah. the most famous historical yeah. book of our time and i think you know it's like for me it's like i don't have to like be a christian and necessarily believe and practice the religion to like read and understand a book you know like like i read a lot of different books i read a lot of stuff from buddhist people like and i'm not buddhist but like i love that shit so yeah. I take what I can and leave the rest, you know. I
1: I see stuff in like Buddhism that's like beautiful, you know, yeah. and I mean, I there's stuff in religion and all kinds of different religions that's beautiful and I think that the one like common common thing in most religions is like love one another, you know? Yeah, love. Yeah.
0: It's love. It really is. Well, I love you and I'm so glad I you love came you. on and you're doing incredible things and you're growing and growing, and you're you're just a joy to have in my life, and I don't know. Life wouldn't be the same without Rosie in it ever since I met you.
1: Well, thank you for that,
0: and I feel <laughs> the same
1: about you. I honestly do. Like, I talk about you all the time. Like, you're a staple in my home, so, and you're rarely ever there, but you should come more often
0: because <laughs> Hank and Candy would love it. I know. I got to go visit <laughs> Hank and Candy. They're the best. We we'll yes. have to. We'll have to do something once it warms up. Yes all right all right guys well that was another episode of spiritually shitty we didn't do book recommendations on this episode because rosie's not a real big reader i'm really not um but i think she i mean her story and everything was so good we don't even need a book recommendation i'm currently still reading the myth of normal because i don't have a lot of time to read and i might
1: read that because the way you talk yeah the the trauma
0: you know (laughs) how we can how we can uh you know, we get sick physically from trauma. I'm sure many of you are aware of that. But like Gabor Monte has put it, laid it out in this book very well. Um, and I'm so excited to keep reading it and find out how to, how to heal. You know, because the body does really keep the score. And my, I feel like my body does know that it's been through a lot. Even though my mind is a lot better and my emotions are better and spiritually I'm better, my physical being still knows what happened yeah so we're gonna talk a lot more about that on future episodes i'm so excited so all right guys this was a really great episode thanks for having me and that's all okay bye